we are going through the various practices that we find foundational. That's what this discipleship track is all about. And real quickly, we've already talked about the practice of scripture, the practice of prayer, and last week was the practice of worship. And so now we wanna talk about the practice of giving. And here are the goals that I have throughout this lesson. Goal number one is we wanna clearly understand what the Bible teaches about giving and the stewardship of money as it pertains to the Christian faith. And number two, we wanna discuss how we are called to practice giving and commit to this with joyful and trusting hearts. But let's just be honest up front, talking about or teaching on money or giving has become increasingly more difficult in the church. And mostly that is in part because of confusion and also abuse and mis misuse of some leaders in the body of Christ. There are some bad examples out there as it pertains to churches. You may have come from a church where something was mishandled and it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And it doesn't help when you turn on the news and the things that get highlighted that are negative when it comes to the church happen to be they put a magnifying glass on all that is bad when we know there's so much good that's going on, but that type of news doesn't sell. And so we cannot allow bad practices and bad theology to be our Bible. When we do that, you know what ends up happening is bad practices and bad theology. Whenever we have what's called reaction theology, we end up in the same place that we're trying to avoid. And so what we wanna do is take a look at scripture and understand what God's perspective is, why these verses are in the Bible. And I think the last time that I checked, scholars sort of agree around this, that there's somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 verses that are related to money, possessions, and stuff. And so that's just simply a lot of verses. And so we'll focus on the stewardship of finances because it's a major subject. And I believe that money, material possessions, and this whole category is about discipleship. And it's a test of the heart as we're going to see uh, today. So I wanna bring you through a couple things. The first is I wanna talk to you about the principles of stewardship. Then I wanna talk to you about the practices of giving, and there are three of those, specifically the Bible references. And then if we have time, we'll go through the principles of giving, but this will be uh, a little bit of a lesson to get through um, all of that. But first, let's focus on the principles of stewardship because before we dive into the practices, we have to understand and, or take a step back and really understand what God is asking of us because all that we do comes from what we believe. And so we approach this topic um, as stewards, not as owners. And that's what the Bible teaches. And the first principle of stewardship is this, everything belongs to God. God is the creator of all things. Therefore, he is the owner of all things that he created. Deuteronomy 10, 14, it says, "'Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven "'and the highest heavens, earth, and all that is in it. Everybody say all. all. This is a Hebrew term for all. <laughs> in this passage, Moses is preparing the people of Israel with the proper mindset as they come into their inheritance. This is his final dissertation. This is his exhortation before the people come and inherit the promised land. This is an entire gener generation now has died off and their kids have been raised up and they're going to inherit 
what they didn't fight for and what they didn't pay for. And so Moses is trying to help them properly understand this posture of stewardship. And he says, guys, I wanna remind you before you go in and you're able to reap from vineyards you didn't plant and houses you didn't build, I wanna make sure that you know everything belongs to the Lord your God. And so he owns all of it. And this passage would echo something in the people of God that would be released into future generations and all that they would acquire. James says it a little bit differently in James chapter one and verse 17. He says, every good thing. Now that's a Greek word, every. It means the same thing as the Hebrew word all. Don't you love it? Very consistent. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good thing is from God. This is not, uh, these, these, this is, uh, not merely um, the only verses that we could talk about. There are just tons of verses that say the same thing again and again. God owns all of it. And so we have to understand everything belongs to God. Number two is we are stewards, we are stewards of all that we have. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it or use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Here's this concept, this theological concept that runs all throughout the Bible. That is what God has given, we are stewards of, and so we need to use it as God intends. For the one who's given it did so for a specific reason. And so we wanna make sure that as those who have received well, we also wanna invest well. So we are stewards of all that we have. And there's two mindsets that we have to understand. The first is an ownership mindset. An ownership mindset says that you have exclusive rights and control over all of your own property. That's what an ownership mindset looks like. But a stewardship mindset is considerably different. And it says that we need to manage well what has been entrusted into our care. And that is we don't own anything. It's not my house. It's not my money. All of these things that I have, I am called to steward in a way that glorifies God. That's the idea here. The Bible would teach us in many places that we're stewards of our time, our talent, and our treasure, not just our money, but all things that God has entrusted to our care. So the fact is we are all stewards, but we may just not be good ones. And so we wanna turn that around. You are a steward, no matter how it is that you're living that out. It just, the issue is, are we good ones or are we not? That depends on the choices that we make. The illustration sometimes that I use is if you're asked to watch someone's house, how much different do you treat their house than your house? You know, it's sort of like a, a renter owner mindset, you know, and God wants us to get to the place where we would steward other things in a way that would be a blessing, in a way that would not be different. And so it's very important for us to recognize we're stewards of all that we have. Number three, our stewardship is a revelation of our heart. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Now this verse to me is a very powerful and important verse. Jesus makes it very clear that we are stewards of money or anything that we have. And that stewardship, whatever it may look like, is a reflection of our heart. Look what he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It is a reflection of our heart. You can't get out of that. How do you spend your money? That's the question. Where do you put your riches? Where do you, some of you might say, I don't have much. <laughs> it's not always true. We think we don't have a lot until we look at things objectively. When we start to have accountability and we allow someone else to take a real look into our financial portfolio, here's the question. If we were to put everything that we do and all that we spend and how we spend it up on the screen, would we be embarrassed? Would it be a reflection of our heart and would we be proud to say, I've been working hard at this. Don't all smile at one time. Would I be proud if you put all of the itemized issues of how I spend my money and how I steward my stuff and I have this big old house and I have all this stuff. How do I, what do I do with all of this that I have? Is it for me? Is it for mine? Or, or is it useful to others? Am I stewarding in a way that Jesus has called me to? I mean, that's the question that we all have to ask. We're all accountable to Jesus, not to ourselves. I don't wanna go knock on your door and ask you all these questions. In fact, it's daunting to even think that I would look at your checkbook. Do we, do we even have one of those anymore? A couple of us do. <laughs> this just in. I spent 15 years selling real estate. And one of the things that I learned, even working with Christian people, everybody, is that uh, we have a tendency to think mostly about ourselves. Now, if you were one of my previous clients, of course I'm not talking about you. <laughs> talking about all of my other clients, except for you. But we would do these things called good faith estimates. I remember at one point I was talking to somebody that I was selling a house to, and I would work with a lender to do good faith estimates. So you have what's called a debt to income ratio, and you have to have under or over a certain percentage for you to even qualify for a home. And so what they do is they take all of your income and they put it on a spreadsheet. And then they take all of your debt and, the, and all of your, everything that you spend money on. And it's pretty much itemized. And there's this little item that says charity or giving. We would call it tithing or giving, but it says charity on like a lender's spreadsheet. It doesn't anymore, but it used to back then as they would have these spreadsheets. And I was driving with somebody that I was selling a house to and we had done one of those good faith estimates. So I knew it, it's, it said less than 1%. And that's, I'm not judging them. I'm just telling you what it said. And here's why. Because as we were driving and I, you know, you spend a lot of time with people when you're a real estate agent, you get to know them quite well, like how good their marriage is, whether or not they're nice to people at the restaurant, how tense they are under pressurized circumstances. You get to know people pretty well. I always thought it was a prophetic thing for me to sell houses because I was helping people with one of the greatest investments that they would ever make. And it had to do with like generations and it had to do with future. And I always felt like it was really a prophetic thing for me to be involved in business as much as it was to be a pastor in the church. Cause I was actually both at the same time. I was bivocational back in those days. But I remember this couple that was in my car and they were just ragging on the church, talking about how the church is after your money and the church wastes all their money. And I mean, they, I mean, seriously, after about a couple hours, every time we drive by church, they were hurt or they were bitter. Something must've happened to them in their past as it pertained to the church. 
And so God bless them. It's been years since I, you know, whatever. But I remember thinking about their good faith estimate going, how can you guys talk about hypocrisy? Like all this stuff. And I've literally watched you for weeks act even worse than the people that you're judging. My, my point is this, is that we have a tendency to push off personal stewardship and blame other people for what they're not doing. That's what politics, some of our politics are like. If the, if the country just did this and spent their money on that and spent their money on this, all the while, we're not good stewards ourselves. Friends, I wanna tell you, a good spirituality is somebody that can look right in the mirror and say, God, help me with who I am, with what I have, with where I'm at, to be somebody that glorifies you in all that I say and do. That's the kind of people that it's easy to push off and be like, this is what other people need to do and everybody else wastes money, but we might be doing the same exact thing. In fact, I had interns years ago and they used to be like, you know, when I have more money, it'll be easier to tithe than to give and all this stuff. And I looked at them, I said, no, it's not. <laughs> if you make more, it's not easy to give more. Do you understand? Because you still are giving in the ratio to a, the ra up to the ratio of what you're making. It's not easier to write a big check than a small check, if that's sort of the logic that they were working with. And so I basically did the whiteboard. I went on the whiteboard and I asked somebody, how much do you make? And they were like, I make $20,000 because they were you know, 32 hours a week at something and they weren't making very much or whatever. So they said, I make $20,000. So I put $20,000 and I started doing the nice, the pie sheet you know, that all our moms and dads wanted to do for us or did, I did for some of our kids and they went gloss-eyed on me. I just ripped the page. Let me try this again. You didn't get it. All right. You understand how that goes. But I went up on the whiteboard and I started saying, okay, here's your income, $20,000. And here's all your debt. You spend money. Okay, do you have rent? I do. $200? Wow, your parents are awesome. You know, you're like 25. And anyhow, like 200 bucks. What's that? That's like our water bill. You understand? Like, I mean, paying for our water. All right, so 200 bucks. And, uh, and then we just went down. So gas, insurance, we did the whole thing. Everybody done this before? Of course. So I went down the whole thing. And so then what you're looking at is their monthly, let's say it was $1,500 a month or two grand a month or whatever it was. And then they ended up like they spend $1,000 a month. And I go, I want you to take a quick look at something really quickly. Because before we start blaming how other people spend their money, you have $2,000 a month, you spend 1,000 on your needs and you got another $1,000 a month. Now, let me just ask you the obvious question. What do you do with the other $1,000 a month that's not up on the whiteboard because you're talking about how much money you don't have and how you can't give and you can't tithe. So I just want to know, where does the money go? And they get all red-faced. I was like, oh, well, let's pick our first contestant, shall we? Bam, you know, this person, no, not me. You know where part of it goes? $10 a day at Starbucks. I won't, I'm not, I'm gonna go there just for a second. $10 a day. Add that up, 365 days. Anybody do the math? $3,650. I, I want you to, now 3,600, let's say you spend $3,500 a year on Starbucks and you make $20,000 a year. Do the math in your head. How, what's the percent? That's already one and a half percent. You spend one and a half percent on Starbucks, but we're having a conversation about time. All right. Stewardship reveals our heart. And a lot of us love Starbucks. We cannot escape this simple yet profound principle. Look what Jesus said, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and wealth. And I think the reason that a lot of us sometimes are not good stewards is because we're not accountable to the itemized list of what we make and what we spend. And so as long as we stay ignorant and unaccountable to the reality of that, it is easy to act like it's, like it's something we cannot do. The minute we come into an accountability of what we make and how we spend our money, all of a sudden we're accountable to its reality. And this is where these verses have to matter. And I'm not saying you can't go get Starbucks, feel free, buy me one while you're there. But the point is, is some of us can't afford to do that if it is that we're going to follow some of these principles of stewardship because money is a test of the heart. Now, here's the thing. I just want to ask you a quick question. I know I'm not going to get through all my notes tonight. I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best. But here, this is $20. Who's on this? Andrew Jackson. All right. I don't usually have cash. It just so happens today that I did. What do you feel when you see this? Now, don't answer the question. There's too many of us to have dialogue. What do you feel? When you see this, some people, I mean, it, it provokes something, doesn't it? It's just a piece of paper. Isn't it funny? It's a piece of paper. And yet, if I were to say, I'm going to give this to somebody tonight, there's a couple of people that are like, I hope it's me. I hope it's me. Now I'm going to ask you another question. Now I want you to pay attention to this. What if I showed you this? What's this, everybody? It's a screwdriver. Let's call it a tool. It's a, that's all this is, right? This is a tool. What if I told you, I'm going to give this to somebody tonight? <laughs> are you thinking the same thing? I mean, some of us guys are like, yeah, I think I need one of those. What's that, a <laughs> flathead? Here's my point. This is a tool. That's all that this is. That's all that this is. This is a tool. We're either using it the right way or we're not. That's the reality. You cannot serve two masters. You serve God or you serve mammon. It's just a tool. It's given to us to be useful for the way God has called us to live. But we often don't look at it that way. We look at money through the eyes of self of what I can get or what I can do. We don't necessarily think the same way. We look at this as something useful and I need it for specific things. And that's the way that God is calling us to look at finances through the eyes of stewardship. It is a tool. And the fourth principle is this. Our stewardship determines our investability. That's not a word. I made it up, I think. God is an investor. He is looking for soil that is rich, vines that are fruitful, and servants that are faithful. Like us, God does not invest into things. He invests into people. People make things fruitful. And we learn this principle from Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. He who is faithful in very little things is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in very little things is unrighteous in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. And there it is. It's in the context of stewardship. God wants to give us more, but it isn't for ourselves. So one of the principles that I apply when someone gives me a gift card or when something happens, like people might give me money or we might have some of that happen, you have to ask this question. This is just a discipline. Is this for me or is this for someone else? These are principles that help us to keep money as a tool. These are prayers that I wanna teach you to pray when we get these things. I'm not talking about birthday presents. You might wanna just use the birthday present as the person intended. 
But what if God wants to bless through us in ways that we never imagined? But the reality is, is that we're not faithful in little, so we're not going to be faithful in much. What if our life that God has called us to is pending, not because of finances per se, like we can't do the things that maybe God's fully called us to do, but what if he's called us to be a conduit in ways that we can't even imagine? And it's pending because of the ways that we're stewarding some of what we have today. What if that were the case? And the Lord's like, I just want you to clean up this stewardship because I wanna pour through you to bless more and more people, whether it's money or it's things or whatever it might be, gifting perhaps. If God gives you a supernatural or a spiritual gift of some kind, but you never use it, is the anointing gonna be present in your ministry or in your life or, or just where you go and what you do if you don't give away what you already have? See, I have found something that even as it pertains to the anointing and spiritual gifts and all of those things, that if we use it, God will bless it and he will pour more through us. Some people get used and some people get more, not just because they're better or they pray more than we do, but they actually use what they're given. It's not that complicated. And so our stewardship determines our investability. The fundamental issue here is that discipleship is what it's all about. Number five, and finally, stewards are responsible before they are investable. This means that we are a people who work diligently. We pay all of our debts faithfully. We must be a blessing and not a burden. We will never be generous until we are responsible. Romans 13, eight says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law that we are a people not of debt, but we are a people that can be a blessing because we're not under a burden. You cannot be generous at the expense of taking care of things that you have promised to pay. When you don't take care, like it's, it, we have to pay our bills. We need to pay our bills on time. And if we haven't gotten that straight, that's the kind of integrity that God wants to instill into our life. He doesn't want us to have creditors going after us. He wants us to go after them if we need to pay some bills. Practically, I wanna encourage you to write out a budget in order to steward well if you have this issue in your life and God will help you by his grace. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, for even when we were with you, Paul said, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. We must work with our hands. The Bible actually shares this several times, which I can refer you to if you're interested. Proverbs gives us tons of examples and passages that talk about the difference between laziness and diligence. And it actually calls out laziness as shameful. And, and we are called to work to provide. I, I've shared with you before on weekend services, when the Bible says, honor your father and your mother, it doesn't just mean we speak well of them. It means that we are willing and able to take care of those that we love. It's a family perspective and it was looked down upon. Jesus actually spoke to the Pharisees about this because they claimed that their wealth and inheritance was Corbin, so they didn't have to give it to their parents. And he said to them, that is ungodly what you're doing. You're called to honor your father and your mother. Help them in whatever way that you can. I wanna tell you something though. If we don't steward what we have, we'll never be able to help people that have needs in our life. It's just the way that it works. We feel a certain way. All of us, we have this compassion. We have this desire to help people. I'm just like you. God, I wanna answer the needs of my world. And, and yet sometimes we feel like we're running behind or, we're not able to do what maybe we could have done. And that could be true for us. And if it is, God can help us straighten that out. 
As we live faithfully, God will not only provide for us, but he wants to provide through us. Isn't that an amazing thought? Proverbs has a verse and it says, if you water someone else's garden, God will faithfully water yours. Now that's particularly interesting to me right now since we just made a new garden. So I went over with a hose last night and I watered my neighbor's garden. He didn't water my garden though. I mean, he didn't. (laughs) It's a metaphor. It's supposed to be used to understand finances and how God takes care of us. He always will, he always does. But what are the practices of giving? We, we can often be confused about this. And so I want, I want to share with you upfront the three practices that I believe are consistent in the Old Testament and the New. And the first one is we pay tithes. Now, this is a very specific language. We pay tithes. And the second is we give offerings. That's the second. And the third is this, we give alms. I, I would actually word it differently for modern day. I would say we address needs. And so we'll talk about these three practices briefly. I I won't have a lot of time. Um, Number one, we pay tithes. Um, The wording is very important here. What is a tithe? In both the Old and New Testament, it means a tenth. It's talking about 10%. From the Old Testament, we see God called his people to pay 10% of their earnings to him. And they yielded that to the temple. They were the representation. They obviously didn't do this in money, except for the temple shekel when they came at least once a year to bring that before the Lord, a sacrifice and a temple shekel when the temple was established. But the tithe was to be given a lot of times in agrarian culture, they would bring forth crops and they did it three times a year. So it was like they stored it up because they had seed time and harvest and there were two specific harvests. And then there was one time when they would come to the temple. So when the Bible talks about tithing, they specifically would give or bring a tithe three times a year a year. And we see this perspective of tithe because there's a lot of arguments over this. Was the tithe only in the law? Was it pre-law? Was it post-law? Well, I just want to give you the perspective that I have that I've always functioned with for 22 years now. And the first is this. You see all of those uh, numbers on your paper? There's a lot of them. I'm going to fly by them, but the references are there for you. Number one, the tithe of Abraham. This was pre-law in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18. Abram just returned from defeating four kings and rescuing his nephew Lot, recovering his possessions. He has met with this mysterious figure, Melchizedek, and Abram ties to him. This is before the law was given. Somehow, and for some reason, he knew to tithe. We have no reference of tithing before that or why he would do so. We just see he intrinsically knew to do that, to tithe to the priest. Most people believe Melchizedek was the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, It was a Christophany. And so he tithes to this person who had no beginning and no end, apparently. Abram does not know that this invokes God's blessing. Rather, it was a response to the blessings in his life. I want you to hear that. He did not tithe to get anything from the priest. He did not tithe to get anything from God. He tithed as a response to the blessings that he already had. And this is actually helps us to understand the tithe a little bit better. The second one, part B, is the tithe of Jacob. This also was pre-law. Genesis chapter 28, verse 18. In this passage, Jacob responds to a dream he's received from God by building an altar and vowing that he would pay tithes from all that God gives to him in the future. I mean, isn't this important? You see this once again, pre-law. Sometimes we say that the issue with Abram and Melchizedek is the only pre-law tithing that happens. And that's, that's really not true. 
Number three, this is C, the tithe was prescribed in the law by Moses. This is where people usually reference that it's in and under the law, Leviticus 27, 30. Moses introduced the tithe as a way of responding to God's provision. They could tithe 10% of their produce or 12% cash. They had to add a fifth to it if they brought some form of currency. Isn't that interesting? That's what it says right there in Leviticus 27. Number D, the, the tithe of Israel was in part to provide for the Levites and the priesthood. You might say, well, where did the tithe go? What was the tithe for? Did it just get consumed by a fire? No, it did not. Great question. The Levites served as priests and they did not receive an inheritance. So God used the tithe in part to care for their needs so that they could continue to minister. Now this same principle, if you didn't notice, is in the new covenant as well. And that's where we're gonna study here in just a moment because we understand that many of these things that happened in the old covenant still happen in the new today. They just change. The purpose of them changes and they're contextualized within the church, not under the law, but through Jesus Christ. Number E is the tithe from the Levites. Numbers 18, 26. Even though the Levites received from the tithe, they were supposed to tithe uh, as well. God bless you, pastors. Part F, the tithe was for the festivals. Deuteronomy 14, 22, the people of Israel celebrated the feast of the Lord. And part of that was to bring a special tithe. This is where I talked about three. Part G is the tithe was for the orphans, widows, foreigners in need. Deuteronomy 14, the first tithe of the year was to support the Levites and the priests. However, every three years they received a special tithe. This was on top of what they did every year for the orphans, widows, and foreigners. Now this maybe we would call a special offering, but they called it a special tithe. So this was in addition to the 10% they already gave. So this would be 20%. This would not be 10% at that point. It was another tithe that God called them to give. H, the tithe was brought in form uh, in from the fruit of your land or your labor, Second Chronicles. It was obviously a cashless society. If I had time, uh, being a little bit of a nerd, I would like to make a case that God never instituted currency. I would like to make a case for that. And I don't mean like a socialist case. But, uh, so back down for a second. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that you, you'll never find it. Uh, the, the, the world created systems of currency. Uh, but I believe that, you know, God had a different way. And I think heavenly reality is going to look different. Uh, number I is Nehemiah reestablished the tithe. I'm just gonna jot some of these down here. J, the tithe was not all about all that God required for giving. K, when the tithe was not paid, it was like robbing God. That's the famous verse that preachers use to pressure the people to tithe. I've never used before that way. L, the tithe was affirmed by Jesus. Matthew 23, 23, Luke eleven forty two. 42. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for allowing the paying of tithes to be more important than what he called them to do. The weightier matters of the law, love, justice, and mercy. And, and here's where we change to the New Testament, all right? This is all the Old Testament. There are a lot of references there for you. You can study those. So here's when a person will say, okay, Ben, I hear you. Pre-law, in the law, Leviticus 27. I get that, but we're new covenant believers. We're living in the New Testament. We're established on the Old Testament. The Old Covenant matters. The New Covenant is built upon it. So does this mean that we're supposed to tithe today? And I wanna make a case because people are very confused about that as it pertains to the church. So there's a debate here. And what we do when we tithe, first I'll just give you practical language, is we're honoring God as our provider. 
When we tithe, we're trusting God to provide. We're saying, we thank you for the blessings that we have in our life, like Abraham. That's the first thing we're doing. The second thing that we're doing is we're trusting God, that he's the one that's gonna continue to provide for us no matter what, no matter what our context or situation looks like. So the term tithe is not mentioned in the New Testament in a way where it seems to demand it or command it. I can acknowledge that and I will acknowledge that. I've had plenty of debates with people about whether or not tithing is for New Testament or New Covenant believers. But here's the case that I wanna make for you. And this is the part that you need to hear, put on your biblical thinking cap, okay? I don't want anything from you. I'm not taking up an offering after this. So if you feel tension, don't because I'm not going to look. I don't care what you do. I, I mean, I want you to do what God wants. And I believe this with all my heart. I do. I'm not saying this to you because I want something from you. A couple of you go to another church. So I want you to do this there. Amen. But I truly believe this. I've, I've been practicing it too. I can preach it because I've been practicing it since I was 20 years old. I believe that when you come into the New Testament, a lot of what it deals with is Gentile believers. You don't hear um, the exhortation to Jewish believers because they already practice tithing. So when Paul starts to speak to the Corinthians or he starts to speak to other churches and he uses terms like giving, the reason that he's saying these things to them is because they're Gentiles, they're worshipers of other gods and they don't have the moral compass. They didn't grow up under the law. They don't know the patriarchs. They don't understand the priesthood. They do not have a frame of reference for tithing. So when people say to me, the New Testament doesn't talk about tithing, I always ask them, then what do you think Paul was actually trying to say when he said all of these things to the various churches? Because it looks a whole lot like tithing to a Gentile audience. And I'm gonna prove it to you, okay? You ready for that? If you're not, I'm still doing it. Here we go. <laughs> Number N, the New Testament church started in giving everything. Everybody say everything. everything. Because when people tell me the New Testament... They don't tithe in the New Testament. You're right. They give everything. Let's practice that. Look at this, Acts 2.45. And they began selling all their property and possessions and they were sharing with everyone as anyone might have need. That sounds like a little bit more than tithing. Do you agree with that? Oh, it, it just keeps going. The New Testament church trusted leaders with the finances of the church. Look at Acts chapter five. I can't read that whole story. You understand why. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of their property and kept back some of the price for themselves. And with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now they got in trouble because, not because they didn't give all, they got in trouble because they lied about giving all when they held some back. And Peter rebuked them and said, this was in your possession, but you allowed everyone to think that you gave everything when you held back some. That was the sin. The sin wasn't that you didn't give everything. It was that you were okay with that level of hypocrisy that we so readily see in the Pharisees throughout the gospel of Mark that we're studying right now. But here's the reality is they trusted church leaders with their finances. And we look at P right here. The New Testament church supported the church and leaders. Sounds very similar to the priesthood in the Old Testament. Look, look at this. 1 Timothy 5.17 the elder, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, First Timothy 5, 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. Do you know what this means? I want you to do a word study. He's talking about finances. He's not saying you should say nice things about them whenever you see them. Please do that too. I would appreciate that. It's been a hard season. 
So everything nice you have to say, I'll take that. Amen. I'll take it. But what he's saying is, is that you should doubly honor them, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. This comes right out of the Old Testament and it's a direct reference to giving in support of the ministry. It's exactly what he's talking about. And Paul makes the comment to the Corinthian church that I was worthy to receive finances from you guys to support the ministry, but I decided not to because I knew that if I did that, you would misunderstand what I was doing and think I wanted something from you instead of I was giving something to you. He was saying, you're immature. So I'll go and make tents because you're immature and I don't wanna cause you to stumble. So Paul had a high level of integrity. He said, even though I can, I won't for your sake. He said, I'm the father and you're the kids. I mean, that's an incredible example, but he wasn't using that so that everybody in the church would always do that. He was saying that there are elders are worthy of their wages, especially those who preach and teach among you. Sounds very similar to what happened in the priesthood in the old covenant. Do you see how the new covenant is built on the old? How these principles in the Old Testament, they're supposed to build on the new. And it really is kind of sad when people say, well, I don't see it written in the New Testament. You don't see it because you're not looking for it. I'm telling you, you find what you're looking for. If we go outside right now and look for rocks, you're gonna find rocks. But there's a lot of cars out there. There's a lot of wonderful people probably taking a walk in this wonderful weather. I mean, you're in here. And now you might be wishing you weren't. No, I'm just, you love it. Amen. Finally, the New Testament church was taught to give generously. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 9. I'm coming down the hill fast here. Paul says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Sometimes people quote this verse to me and they say, say, see, tithing's not for the New Testament. My question to them is, what do you think Paul was teaching them? He was teaching a people that didn't understand new covenant community. They didn't understand the Old Testament. He was teaching them to give, but he was rightly motivating it in their hearts. I want you to give from the heart. I don't want you just to do it because of the law. Do you see how the new covenant shifts from the heart and not because of the law? Because the law is what? It's written on our... This whole issue of generosity is about doing it from the heart to honor and to serve the Lord. So of course he's talking to them and sharing these principles. He does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 16, 1. We see the New Testament church practiced regular giving and we would call that tithing. Look at this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections may be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. What is he talking about here? Does this not sound like what we practice? It's tithing. It's a Gentile version of tithing. He's absolutely, now he doesn't use the word tithe, but where's he drawing these principles from? Paul is a Jew. So he's speaking out of what he understands. So this is tithing. Now you may say, Ben, are you forcing me to tithe? I'm not. Do I believe in tithing? I do. Do I teach tithing? I 100% do. Do I believe that God will take care of you if you tithe? I absolutely do. Do I care if you tithe on your gross or your net? I don't. Do I think you should tithe on the gifts that are given to you? I don't. I think you should just, the gifts are yours, amen? If you give me a birthday present, 
uh, a $50 gift card to Duke Seafood House, whatever, me and my wife are just gonna go eat. I'm not tithing on that, all right? I could bring you some of that wonderful bread that they give, but that's just how it's going to be. So all these other questions to me are kind of more of a mute point because we're getting into the technicalities of it. I, I think that it would just be great if people begin to take steps toward that. So if you say to me, I haven't ever tithed, I would say, take a step. Go 2%, go 4%, begin to give where you're at. The point isn't to jump all the way there if you haven't been practicing this at all, but I highly encourage that you move towards the Lord. And if you're not convinced, be convinced in your own mind by studying the scriptures, amen? That's the goal, that's the point. The second part of this is we give offerings. An offering in the Old Testament and New Testament was not to be the same as tithes. Tithes we pay, offerings we give. The concept of giving means it's voluntary and it's the overflow of our gratitude. We read this in Deuteronomy 12, and then I gave you a boatload of other passages. Check them out. Please do knock yourself out. There's lots of them. And number three, we give alms. This is where we address needs uh, in, that we see in our life. As a church, we call this benevolence. So we have a benevolence account. If somebody's in need, we have an account where we can supply first for the church and then for people outside the church. The Bible calls us to take care of our own. And then after that, we have an overflow. We're able to take care of the needs of our community. And we do. That's what we do as a church. But the Bible also calls us to do that as individuals as well. This is where we help people in our lives personally. Jesus called people to do that in Matthew 6. But let me read to you this verse in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? I mean, that'd just make you say, ouch. It's very intentional. The, the, in American society, it's highly individualistic, number one. That is something against us. I mean, the concept of pooling our resources together and tithing is almost offensive to a lot of minds. To trust church leaders, it's almost like politicians. Like, I don't trust they're doing with our money what they should. And so it's, it's almost offensive, right? So that's the first problem that we have. But the second thing is, is that we're, we're so invested in self and we're so invested in what the world is advertising to us that we don't even realize we don't have enough left over to take care of the needs that we see. I would like to, I think a lot of us want to, right? We all want to, I wanna do something about what I see, but we have to plan to, that's really the reality of it. Uh, there's this um, Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers. Has anybody ever seen that? I want you to take a picture of my Adidas, go ahead. I don't think it'll make it, but, but what they do is they take a picture of, of these high profile preachers with like three, five, $700 sneakers on. And they talk about, and then there's another one called Profits and Watches. And there's a couple of profits that got like 20, 30, $40,000, uh, you know, and they're all on TV and all that stuff. And, you know, we, it's, so, it's, it's so funny to me because we judge them for what they do, right? And I mean, maybe the fact is, is none of them should have any of that misuse of God's funds. Okay, maybe all that's true. But I find it funny that we all have an iPhone and nobody says anything about it. I mean, those are all, what are those, 1,200 bucks? And people get the new versions of those all the time. It's not like you take a picture of someone's iPhone for $1,200, which probably costs twice as much as some of those sneakers that are up there on that Instagram account. Nobody says nothing. You know why? Because in American society, we're fine and we're okay with how we spend money, but we like to point out how other people misuse money. You know why? Because it makes me feel better. 
It makes me feel better when I can point out what somebody else is doing wrong so that I don't have to look at what I might be doing that makes me feel a little guilty that I just had to get the upgrade even though I really didn't need it. Come on. And I've done it before, so I'm sorry. I just want to tell you the truth. Do, do, you see what, do you see what I'm saying? It's easy to like, like that account and feel good about yourself. But the fact is, friends, listen to me. Sometimes we're not able to take care of the needs of others because we had to buy that upgrade. Sometimes people like young preachers, they want to, they want to preach. You know, like I, I, I used to have a cohort and do all that raise up young preachers and they want to preach, man. They want to say something. I got something to say and, and all this. And, and uh, it's like a fashion show, you know, I, I don't know. But anyhow, they, 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 their life isn't yet standing on a lot, okay? So I always try to like bring them down to DEFCON 1. I always try to like, like chill out for a little bit. You got to live some more life. And, and I watch some of them when early on, they, we live the American life. And I'm not trying to put America down, but I'm just saying that it's, it, you know, the advertisements. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like just, you need this and you need that. And if you just got this and your life would be great and bless God. And some churches even advocate it. I mean, they're just like, you're blessed if you have all this stuff. And, and really it's a trap. And so with these young preachers, I'm always telling them, I'm like, you want to know how people will start listening to you? It's like, Stop spending all your money on other things and look for needs in the congregation and privately in an anonymous envelope if you can, or even just go and help people. Somebody's got a car problem. You start taking care of their car. Somebody's got issues that going on in their life. Start taking care of the needs of people in the congregation, but don't let anybody know. Don't do stuff on a stage. Do it privately. And then when you get up on a stage and you start preaching to people, guess what? They're going to be more inclined to hear. Why? Because you're preaching out of your life well-lived. How many vacations do we need? Do we need three or do we need one? What happened if we paid for somebody else to go on vacation? What would happen then? You see what I'm talking about? I mean, the reality is, is that we want to have the influence in someone else's life sometimes. And I'm not saying you can pay for it, but Jesus gave a principle. He talked about using worldly goods in a way where you would gain for yourself friends. But I feel like, in our society, it's the other way around. It's let's get as much as we can from people and let's buy as much stuff as we can and let's not worry about the needs and the things that are going on around us. We feel bad and we post something, but it, it doesn't actually get practical. And then we want that influence. We want to have counsel. We want to speak into people's lives. But in my experience, and I think you can vet this out and it's true for you, if we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. If we sow bountifully, we stand on a foundation where it causes ears to hear and we've got something to say. And finances are a test. That's all this stuff is. This is a test. People, you can say to me right now, I don't have very much. You have enough. I can't do this. I can't. I want to give everybody a can-do mentality. I don't know what you can do, but you can do something. Often we don't do anything because we think we can't do anything. And that's a lie. You don't have to have a lot of money to be generous. You don't have to make more money than you make right now to be generous. You just don't. God will give us opportunities where $5 goes a long way, even in the society of inflation. God will inflate the 20 and make it 100. You watch. You watch. Five loaves, two fish. You watch. He doesn't need a lot. He just needs all you got. That's the principle. 
Isn't that right? We've got to start by taking responsibility in our own stewardship. And if we can do that, friends, I'm telling you, it's not just about money. That's why people get it all wrong. But it certainly isn't about self. And we get it wrong there more often than not. So this is my perspective. I want to share it with you and I'm going to close and then we'll pray. Sound good? This is it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm not going to take an offering tonight, but I tell people all the time. If you value the church, you give to the church. If you value the Red Cross, you give to the Red Cross. If you value your family, you give to your family. If you value yourself, you give to yourself. Let's, let, let, God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that which they also shall reap. What do you want in your life? What are you sowing to? What are you sowing to? Money's a test. It's a test of the heart. It's never about the money. It's never about the money. It's about what our heart is connected to. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm not teaching you to give to get. God will take care of you. You may never be rich. I won't promise you that. I don't think blessings is always material. I really don't. And I'm, sh- I'm ashamed at some of what preachers have done in the past. I am. I'm ashamed of what some people do on television. I'm ashamed of those things. But I will not let them steal the Bible from me and I will not let them steal my obedience to God because to me, the scriptures are clear. And if some abuse it or misuse it, they will not become my Bible and they will not withhold from me that which God is calling me to. I will not shy away from an issue like this. And I'm teaching you to be strong in the Lord and to look at his word faithfully and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I don't know where you need to start or if you just need to continue. Some of you, God bless you, keep doing what you're doing. I may never know, I will never know, but God knows, that's the point. I gladly tithe, I gladly give. I'm not doing it to earn anything, before you. I'm just thankful that it's a discipline that God has set in our family from a long time ago. And our kids, we tithe, we save, and we spend. That's the three-point model that our kids are learning. And all of our kids have learned that we're raising. Because when you sow, it's something that you sow into your kids as well. It's the way you teach them to move forward. We value what God values, so we sow into it. That's what I'm teaching you tonight. Amen? Amen. I missed a bunch of my notes. God bless you guys, discipleship track people. There's more to uh, study, lots of scriptures for you. Just go ahead and take, check it out. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School.